Well, good morning, everybody. That almost felt like a Beach Boys tune there. I was hoping it was a little bit warmer outside than, than it is right now, but uh, it's not too bad, is it? I wanted to say, Harry's going to crank it up again. I wanted to say that um, I hope your holidays were great, and Happy New Year to you all. Hopefully, 2017 has really uh, taken a step forward for you, and uh, you know, one of the things that I love about New Year's is they represent new beginnings, and people are always looking for new beginnings. And there's actually something about that that I think is pretty significant for us, because typically we want to leave behind our bumps and our bruises, our, our failures and our hurts in the past, and we want to be able to start fresh and anew, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. In fact, there's everything good about that. That is exactly the whole purpose that Jesus came for us was to give us a brand new life, a new start, a new heart. And so we're grateful for that. I, I do have to admit, though, that I, I'm always a little bit um, intrigued by the whole process of New Year's resolutions. And I don't know, is there anybody in here who enjoys making New Year's resolutions? I enjoy reading other people's New Year's resolutions. Um, you know, oftentimes it really appears in my generation and in the generation to follow, uh, it, it appears that New Year's resolutions basically become people making these uh, commitments to do things that they actually never intend to follow through with. It's kind of like they know that they should be doing this, and they kind of acknowledge it with this resolution, but they don't really intend to follow through with that. And uh, that is, except for these handful of resolutions that I found this week on social media. I thought I'd read them for you. Here's one. I resolved to come up with much better excuses for being late to work this year. Here's another one. I resolved to get better at telling other people what to do. I resolved to, proca to procrastinate more. Or maybe I'll wait till next year for that one. I resolved to stop being sarcastic this year. Yeah, right. And then there's this one. This is one of my favorite ones here. Um, I resolved to start eating healthy, but first, I need to eat all the junk food in the house so that it's not there to tempt me anymore. Perhaps that's you. You know, regardless of whether or not you make New Year's resolutions or you make mid-year resolutions or you make leap-year resolutions, resolutions are typically made when people focus on the difficult things in their life that really need to be done. But they also recognize that it's going to be uncomfortable and it's going to be inconvenient. This morning, I want to take an opportunity to begin looking at the new year that sits in front of us now. And before we do that, we need to take a moment to kind of gather our, our bearings and get some sure footing. Before I began full-time ministry, uh, I used to be a history teacher. In fact, my first degree was in history and government. I love history because it's so rich in life lessons. You can learn so much from your own past and from those who have walked before you. In the Old Testament books of Deuteronomy and Joshua, you find the narrative of the Israelites' journey from bondage in Egypt to the occupation of the promised land. And I want to draw your attention to two key moments in these books this morning. In Deuteronomy 29, 
as God is preparing to move his people out of the wilderness where they've been for some time and to move them into the land of his promise, he instructed Moses to gather all of Israel together, and that was quite a crowd. So he gathers all of Israel together for a purpose. And when Israel has come together, they began to recall the miraculous hand of God that brought them to where they were at that moment. They recalled the plagues in Egypt, the Red Sea that parted, the manna from heaven, and they gave recognition to the Lord for his mighty deeds among them. And then they made an inward recommitment to continue with the Lord and his purposes for them. Scripture says in Deuteronomy 34 that then Moses climbed to the top of a mountain and he looked out over the promised land and the future that lay in front of the Israelites. Later on in Joshua 24, as God is now moving the people of Israel out of a season of conquest and into a season of occupation of the promised land, he gives Joshua the same instructions. Gather all of the congregation of the Lord together. And so Joshua does this, and you will see the same pattern repeated as with Moses. The people came together, and they recalled the miraculous hand of God that had got them to the point where they were to that moment. The walls of Jericho that came down, the angels of the Lord's army that fought for them, and they gave recognition to the Lord for his great deeds. And then they made an inward recommitment to continue following the Lord and his purposes for them. And then they turned and they faced the future. See, I think this repeated pattern of looking back and then looking in and then looking forward is pretty significant for a church. These two moments in the history of Israel represent seasons of transition in the life of God's people. And that's where we find ourselves as a congregation today, in a season of transition. Now, I know that you all have been in transition before. Maybe not in a church, but certainly in life. There's one constant thing in life, and that is change. There's always change. Change also produces something inside of us, and that is nervousness. And typically, nervousness produces one of two things. Either it makes you sweat or it makes you need to go to the bathroom. That's generally what happens when you get nervous. And here's the deal, guys. There's a lot of people in this congregation that are sweating right now because they're nervous. I remember when I, uh, the first house that we, that we purchased, I made the offer and my wife and I, we were nervous because we, it's like we really wanted this house, but we couldn't control their response, could we? What nervousness is caused because you can't control everything. I remember job interviews. I remember answering the very best that I could, but I was nervous. Why? Because I couldn't control what the interviewer was going to ask or how they were going to respond. Nervousness comes because we can't control things. And I think it's really important for us 
to just acknowledge that there is a nervousness that accompanies this season right now. There's also challenges that churches and organizations who are moving from one season to another, there's challenges that they will face. Not this church, not this church, but other churches, okay? See, what often happens in these seasons is that there are some who see transition as an opportunity, an opportunity to change all the things that they have wanted to change over the years. And so those people pull out their list of personal agenda items for change. And then there's another group of people, not in this church, but in other churches. There are people who want to take it upon themselves to watch every single action with eagle eyes and to sound the alarm as soon as anything looks different than it has in the past. See, seasons of transition require great communication, but they require even greater grace even greater grace. Oftentimes in the nervousness that accompanies transition, rather than questions being asked from one side to the other, accusations are made from one side to the other. Not in this church, but in other churches. The result in those seasons of transition is a development of two camps, us and them, and the temptation becomes to label people as in one camp or the other. Are they with us or are they with them? But biblically, both camps are wrong because both camps become focused on what they want. Either they want things to stay the same or they want things to change, but that is not at all how the kingdom of God functions. There is a powerful passage I would like you to look at in Joshua 5, verses 13 and 14. It says, now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and he asked, are you for us or are you for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? When this messenger came to Joshua, Joshua asked the man, Whose side are you on? Which camp are you a part of? Ours? Or theirs? And the man responded, neither. I think it's so important for us to catch this. The messenger said, I don't represent your camp or their camp. I represent the Lord. Most theologians believe that this messenger was actually Jesus Christ himself standing in front of Joshua. See, here's, here's our question. The question is not which camp should we follow. The question, as Joshua presented it, is what does the Lord want of us? 
I believe one of the most powerful scriptures relevant to the topic of church transitions was the one that Darwin read for us a few moments ago. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 and 11. It says, Because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder, and now others are building on it. See, there is the transition reference right there. One laid the foundation, and now others are building on it. And it goes on to say, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that we already have, and that is Jesus Christ. See, I realize there are many hearts in this room today that are beating this very thing. You have been blessed to be a part of building such a strong foundation here at South Suburban, and you are concerned that what is built on it in this next season will be something that remains centered on Jesus Christ, on his atoning work on the cross, and his unique calling for this church. See, but there are also others who are passionate about this passage, and they are saying, please let us build upon this. We too are focused on Christ and what he is wanting to do in this next season at South Suburban. You see, in order for a church to move forward in God's plan for them, there must be unity. And this passage in 1 Corinthians presents the great common ground for everyone. And that is a foundation of Jesus Christ. See, I like diversity. I personally like multiple perspectives because I think it's healthy in a lot of different situations. But a church cannot have two camps. God is adamant about unity and he promises to bless it. So I have one question for you today. How many of you guys want a blessed church? Okay, I'm going to give a second chance for those who didn't raise your hands. How many of you guys want a blessed church? You want a blessed church. Listen, no doubt about it. You want a blessed church. This church is blessed to have a foundation that is built on Christ. And the unity that God is developing even stronger in this church is one that will help us to build something that honors the Lord upon that foundation. And so as we begin to move into 2017, I believe that we can look at the examples of Moses and Joshua to draw some direction for us. And I'd like to do that this morning. So let's take a look in the next few moments here, we're going to identify three important directions for us to look as found in Deuteronomy and Joshua. The first is looking backward. <clears throat> now, typically, people will tell you it's not really good to go through life looking backward uh, because you will stumble over things. It's not healthy to drive down the highway looking in the rearview mirror all the time, and yet it's there for a reason, right? Right? It's healthy for us to look backwards at times. 
And one of those reasons here is because it helps you acknowledge your unique history. There is a unique history here at South Suburban. Just like the Israelites did, we need to recall the great hand of God and his blessings in the past here at South Suburban. God's hand has been evident on this church ever since it started holding services in 1957, eventually setting in this property, on this location, going through multiple building campaigns, and most importantly, seeing hundreds if not thousands of people come to know the love of Jesus Christ and become passionate followers of him. So this year, 2017, South Suburban will celebrate 60 years of God's miraculous hand and his blessings on the life of this church. Can I get an amen? We can applaud even. I mean, I'm a, I'm a guy who likes to clap. I like to pray and I like to clap, so let's do that right now. Listen, 60 years of God's miraculous hand and his blessings on the life of this church. So do we acknowledge that? Absolutely. If any of us, hold on, if any of us is arrogant enough to think that we did this, that it wasn't the Lord, well, lightning does strike a lot of people here in Colorado. I know that for sure. That moving, moving on. We acknowledge where we are today is because of the hand of God. And it's so important for us to look back on a regular basis and remind ourselves of what the Lord has done in our midst to bring us to this point. It's also important for us to look back and recognize the people who have done that, the men and women of God who have invested so much that by the grace of God, the Lord has used them to help build the foundation of his church here at South Suburban. And I believe this. I believe that every one of us is called to fulfill the purposes of God in our generation, just like King David did. But here's something else that I believe wholeheartedly. There is no such thing as spiritual retirement. There is no such thing as spiritual retirement. Until we stand face to face with Jesus, he has called us to his church. So looking backward helps you acknowledge your unique history. It also helps you identify where you are right now. Because when you look backwards, when you look at what God has brought you through, you also know where he has brought you to. It helps you to identify where you are now. And it helps you recall what got you here. If you would think for just a moment of all the sacrifice that needed to happen here at South Suburban to get this church to where it is today, I promise you that is going through the minds of some of you right now. You are remembering what you did or what your family did or what your friends or your Sunday school class or whatever. You're remembering what you did 20 years ago. You're remembering, you're recalling what it took to get us here. I think that's so valuable. It's healthy for us. It's what the Israelites did. They recalled the hand of God and what it took for them to get to where they were. And they recalled all those things. And I want to say this from the pulpit today. 
there is so much respect and honor for all of those who have invested so much to get South Suburban to where it is today. We honor the Lord, and we honor those great men and women who have helped lay this foundation here. It helps you recall what got you here. So intentionally looking backwards, intentionally looking back, it helps you to honor the past, and that's vital. But then you also need to take the time to look inward. See, and looking inward helps you to recognize your unique gifting. What is it that God has equipped you with as an individual and as a church? Not 40 years ago, but today. What are the unique gifts that God has assembled here at South Suburban? We know this church is strong in relationships. We know that this church is willing to sacrifice and to serve, but there is more. There is so much more that we need to discover and we need to uncover in this next season of what God has equipped this church with today. See, looking inward also helps you to identify who you are in Christ. I know from some of the looks that I received as you guys were walking in here today that this room feels bare to you. This last week, we took down the Christmas decorations. And I want to pause for a moment, and I want to say thank you to everybody, the staff, the volunteers put in tons of hours to make this place look just extra special for all of our Christmas services. And I want to say thank you to all of those who invested in that. For me, personally, it's difficult to take down Christmas decorations because I don't want the season to end. Is there anybody else who is like that? Please don't leave me up here alone, okay? It's difficult for me. It's tough for me to take down the Christmas decorations because I, I don't want that season to end. And I know it lives on in our hearts. I know we honor Christ all year round. But I, I just love, I love Christmas. It's difficult. But the decorations are down. And I intentionally asked for us to leave the decorations down. See, there's still some pieces that, we'll, that we're, we're getting back. We're, we're putting things back into place. But I know by human nature, that there are a lot of people in this room right now who would love to get their hands on this room right now and put their touch on it, especially if you're a decorator. My wife is a decorator, and she goes everywhere, and she's like, ooh, I would do this, I would do that, I would do that. And I'm like, this is your mom's house, you know? Just leave, leave it alone. <laughs> it doesn't matter where she goes. She'd go to the mall, and she'd be like, I would decorate this, I would move this over there. That's part of her nature, and if you're a decorator, I, I get that. You're probably looking at this place and you're going, I would love to get my hands on this room and put my touch on it. And I want to tell you that that is exactly what God is looking to do in this place. See, sometimes we get so distracted by wanting to place our fingerprints on the church that we forget the church's identity comes from the Lord. And in this season of transition, he is wanting to get his hands 
on this church. And he is wanting to get his fingerprints all over this place again. He wants to shape what it looks like next, what it feels like next, what it functions like next. And scripture is always calling us to remember that it's his ways, it's his purposes, it's his identity that we are called to pursue. So this room represents a clean slate. And I know that it made a lot of you uncomfortable. Because when you walked in, there were identity pieces that were moved. There were identity pieces that were missing. And I want to tell you from the bottom of my heart, don't you dare miss out on letting God put his fingerprints on this church. Don't you dare get wrapped up in your identity that you miss out on his identity for you. See, this happens in our personal lives often as well. We get our heads down and we just start plugging through life and we have become a certain person. And then God does something to jolt us and he takes that out of our hands and he throws it on the ground and he shatters it on the floor and he has to reestablish his calling in your life, his identity in your life because we shape things by nature. We put our fingerprints on them by nature the way that we want them. And God says, that's not my church. I beg you guys, if this is his church, let him get his hands on it. Let the identity of this church not be in furniture or symbols, but let it be in him. Let his fingerprints be all over this place. It's so valuable for us to look inward and to discover our identity in Christ. Looking inward also helps you to distinguish your calling. So we ask the Lord, what have you gifted us with? How have you shaped us? And what are you calling us to do? See, it's in pursuing God that we discover our unique calling. Oftentimes in churches, not this church, other churches, there's tons of meetings for people to talk with other people about what the calling of the church is, and there's not enough people talking to the Lord about what the unique calling of that church is. In pursuing God, we discover his unique calling for us, not the church across the road, not the church down the street, but South Suburban. Not the person sitting next to you, not the person sitting behind you, but you. You have a unique calling. It's different from other people. This church is different from other churches. And it might even look different than the past. And there's that nervousness again, isn't it? I feel it. I've been here for two months and I feel it. Come on. I know you feel it. I know you feel it. What does it look like? Our gifts, our identity, our calling are all wrapped up in him. 
It's not wrapped up in us. It's not wrapped up in our past. It's wrapped up in him. And so looking backward and then looking inward really helps us to acknowledge our foundation, to get our shoulders square, to gain our bearing, and then to look forward into the next season. Say, okay, Lord, I'm looking forward. Looking forward helps you realize your unique future. Not somebody else's, your unique future. What will the future look like? Boy, don't we all wish we knew that. But we do know somebody who knows what the future looks like. We do know somebody who holds the future in his hands. And so the question that we ought to be asking ourselves here is, Lord, what do you want this church to look like in the next few years? I've been a part of dozens of committees. Not at this church, other churches. (laughs) Where we ask each other too much and we ask the Lord too little. Not what do you want this church to look like in three years. God, Lord, what do you want this church to look like? Listen, that happens in our personal lives too. We try to decide what our life needs to look like in a few years. Now, I'm all for goal setting. I'm big on that. I'm a big proponent of that. I like to strategize. I like to be intentional in what I do. I like to have a plan. I like to have a strategy. And I like to execute it. <clears throat> but if we're asking ourselves personally what our next few years needs to look like and we're not asking the Lord, we're missing out on the one who holds the future and who holds our identity. Don't you think we ought to go to him? I do. I do for sure. See, it also helps us to identify where we are going. So what does the unique future look like? We know it's built on Christ, but what does it look like? See, what tends to happen is that churches will limit their future to what man can accomplish rather than letting God define the future. And what does scripture tell us over and over again? His ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. He has more, so much more, exceedingly, abundantly, more than we could ever hope for, imagine, ask for, dream of. God's future is way bigger. And we can't limit where we're going to our thoughts. It has to be the Lord. Lord, where are you taking us? Where are you taking us? It also helps you discern What will get you there? Just as we talked earlier about what did it take to get us here, now the question is, what is it going to take to get us there? And what got us here won't get us there. We have to ask the Lord again, Lord, what is it going to take to get us there? As Joshua led the Israelites into a new season, he knew, they knew, that he was going to need to make some really difficult decisions, tough decisions. He was going to need to be firm, steadfast, wise. I mean, he was going to need to be a rock. And so Moses looked at Joshua, and he said, be courageous. And then the Israelites looked at Joshua, and they said, be courageous. And then 
The Lord looked at Joshua and he said, be courageous. What do you think Joshua needed to be in that next season? It takes courage. It takes courage. But the Lord himself said to Joshua, take courage for I am with you. And that is the great comfort that we have as individuals and as a church, that the Lord is with us in this season of transition. Because the most significant thing that we as believers are called to do at all times is to look upward. We can look backward, inward, and forward all we want, but if we are not looking upward and acknowledging him, Hebrews 12, 2 says, looking at the author and the perfecter of our faith, to the one who began and will finish our journey. He is the one constant in our past, in our, our present, and in our future. And in this series, built on this, we're going to be looking upward as we answer some more of the questions that have been posed today. And we'll do that by looking at what it is to pursue God, what it is to raise families, what it is to reach others, and what it is to give of ourselves. This morning, before we close, I want to give an opportunity, just as the Israelites did. See, there was, there was an anchor in their activity. They looked backwards and they looked forward but anchoring it in the middle was this inward commitment to the Lord and his purposes. It was the Lord and his purposes that got them to this point. And it will be the Lord and his purposes that will bring them into the future. I love the opportunity for churches to come together and make that commitment to one another and to the Lord. And that's really what I'm asking for today. There's two commitments, and the first is a commitment that you would make to the body here, to this congregation, that you'll not be about camps, that you're committing to one another as you walk by them in the hallways and you sit beside them in the sanctuary of the Lord. Your commitment to them is his ways, and the second commitment is exactly that. Lord, you brought us this far. You've been faithful to us. You've been good to us. And we are recommitting our lives to you, to follow you, to pursue your ways, your purposes, your plans for us and for this church. Now, those are two significant commitments, aren't they? But it's how the body of Christ works. There's a commitment to one another as you commit yourselves to the Lord and to follow him. Now, there may be someone in this room today who's saying, Pastor, I've never committed my life to Christ. And I'm really excited because today you have that opportunity. I think one of the most significant things that Jesus has communicated to us over and over again in his word is the reason he came is to give you a brand new life, to wash away all the past and to let you start over again with a brand new heart and I want to give you an opportunity to do that first. So with the heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, if that's you, I'm simply going to ask you to just pray this prayer with me. You can pray, Jesus, I thank you that you love me so much that you went to the cross to die for my sins. 
But I also believe, Lord, that you didn't stay dead, but you rose up from the dead to bring me a brand new life. And God, I celebrate that today and I receive it today. I ask that you would forgive me of my sins and that you would come into my life as my Lord and my Savior from this day forward. Amen. It's the most significant decision that you will make. It's a commitment. It's a covenant that you make with the Lord. And it always reminds me when I get to these opportunities to recommit, it really reminds me of my marriage. I made a covenant to my wife. It was the one decision that started it all. But you know what? On a regular basis, I tell my wife, I love you. Now listen, I told her that at the altar that day. Do I need to tell her again? All the women are like, yes, you do. Absolutely. It's, it's just, it's recalling, it's restating, it's saying it again. Listen, I love you. I am committed to you. And I would do it all over again. And that is what we do with our recommitments to the Lord. It's saying, Lord, I love you. I am committed to you. And I would do it all over again. I think there's significant moments in the life of a believer, in the life of a church. It doesn't take long, but it's significant. Would you guys join me as we do that, as we close this morning? Lord, we do thank you once again for your great love for us, for your faithfulness to this church, for your miraculous hand upon this church. We thank you for everything that you've done to get us to this point right now. We thank you for that personally, God, everything that you've done in our lives personally to get us to this point right now. We thank you for your great love. And God, we come to you today with a recommitment, reminding ourselves and reminding you, Lord, that we love you, that we're committed to you, that we will serve you, and that we want your ways. We want your fingerprints all over our lives and over this church. And so, God, we ask that you would help us to stay focused on your desires for our lives, for your desires for this church. And it's in the matchless name of your son, Jesus, that we pray these things. And all God's people said,